0: Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. I'm Louis Carpus. Nice to be with you. I'm sure you know who you are this Friday evening as we head into a not a very busy sporting weekend. But when I say not busy, it doesn't mean that the events that are on are not incredibly big in terms of worldwide audiences and participation so the four major events of the weekend the cricket continues uh, at Old Trafford the golf continues in Liverpool the Tour de France continues obviously around France and then Budapest in Hungary there's action and maybe I'm missing the fifth one which uh, I didn't really mention but it is clearly very important the Women's World Cup so there are those five events Those are the ones we will be paying attention to this evening as we look ahead to the weekend. Unfortunately, as always, our Friday evening show due to the load shedding situation in South Africa is pre-recorded. So we aren't able to give you updated scores with regards to some of the events that are on. But we can talk about them anyway. Let's start with the Open. It's called the Open or the Championship. It's often referred to as either of those two. It's the oldest golf tournament in the world. Incidentally, the second oldest golf tournament in the world, if you weren't aware, is the South African Open. So there you go. The British Open, followed by the South African Open, was founded in 1860. Originally, it was held annually at Prestwick Golf Club in Scotland. Uh, This year, $16.5 million. Most probably when the first one was played, it was about a a pence or a pound with regards to the the prize money that was awarded in those days. And after the first day, not surprisingly for South Africans, but certainly, I guess, surprisingly for the rest of the world, is that a South African amateur who is the amateur champion, the world amateur champion, if you like, um, and the British Open amateur champion. Three of the last five years, a South African has been the champion, and the two years that South Africans weren't was when it was COVID and South Africans couldn't travel uh, overseas. Krista Lamprecht shot a magnificent five under par. It's incredible round for an amateur. First major, first time playing in a golf tournament of this magnitude. And uh, he can be very, very happy with uh, his performance. As I say, he's done incredibly well, irrespective of what happens from here onwards. He is going to remember yesterday, ever and ever. Of that, I can promise you. Because um, to not just lead the Open, but to play. To qualify to play in the tournament is quite incredible as i mentioned the oldest golf tournament in the world it's one of four men's major golf tournaments the others the masters the pga and the u.s open now since the pga moved to may open has been chronologically the fourth and final major of the year which it is at the moment so it's the last chance for the golfers to win a uh, major tournament as i say the first time played the 17th of october 1860 at the prestwick golf club in scotland it was three rounds of a 12-hole links course. In the mid-19th century, golf was played mainly by well-off gentlemen as handcrafted clubs and balls were very expensive. Professionals made a living from playing for bets, caddying, ball and club making and instructions. Alan Robertson was the most famous of these pros, regarded as the undisputed best golfer between 1843 and his death in 1850, there were a couple of others, not names that we will be too familiar. Um, the uh, old Tom Morris declared the champion golfer of the year, which is what they call the winner of the tournament. Um, the first uh, rule of the new golf competition, uh, which was the Open, was the party winning the belt. shall always leave the belt with the treasure of the club, which is what they were given. Eight golfers contested that event. Um, Willie Park Sr. became the first champion by two shots from old Tom Morris. A year later, it became the Open, which was open to amateurs as well as professionals. Ten professionals and eight amateurs contested the final. Once again, Tom Morris won the championship by four shots. Um, the prize fund, incidentally, was £10. <laughs> £10 now $16.5 million. My goodness. And uh, from 1864 onwards, a cash prize was paid to the winner. So that's fantastic. Then in 1872 to 1889 the agreement was reached that they would change clubs not golf clubs as in golf courses um, and so on and so forth and then of course the, the famous era when the Open returned after the war Bobby Locke, Peter Thompson and Ben Hogan's triple crown Bobby Locke became the first South African winner he won it three times in four years between 1949 and 1952 and later won a fourth title in 1957 then the era Of Palmer, Player, and Nicholas. Gary Player, the young South African, won the first of his three opens. Incidentally, Gary Player went to go and play the golf course and he never had anywhere to stay. He slept in a bunker on his first night at the golf course. And then a very kind lady who had a guest house uh, offered him a room. And uh, I believe Gary Player has stayed at that guest house every year around that uh, golf course where he goes and uh, either plays or goes to watch the tournament. He doesn't play, of course, anymore. He could if he wanted to, because if you win the Open, you automatically are able to enter the field like Ernie Els, who's into his 50s now, late 50s, and he is in the golf tournament as well. So it went in threes, a Palmer player and Nicholas, the big three, from 59 to 74. And then four, Watson, Ballesteros, Feldo and Norman, Uh, they uh, got involved. Nick Feldo, incidentally, became the first British uh, winner of the Open for an awful long time, Severiano Ballesteros. Those of us who are old enough to remember him, what a player. He would go on to win the Open in 79, 84 and 88. He was the first continental European to win since Arno Massey in 1907. Other multiple winners, Nick Felder won it three times and Greg Norman won it twice. And then along came Tiger. Yeah, every year between 1994 and 2004, it had a first-time winner. In 1999, the Open at Carnoustie was famously difficult and Frenchman Jean van de Felder, remember him? Three-shot lead going up the final hole. He ended up with a triple bogey he found the belly Paul Laurie who was at the time ranked 241st in the world ended up winning in a playoff he was 10 strokes behind the leader going into the final round which is a record for all majors. He was not the only unheralded champion. The 396th-ranked Ben Curtis and the 56th-ranked Todd Hamilton won in 2003 and 2004. And then came 2000. Along came Tiger. He'd won the US Open, became champion by a post-war record eight strokes and became the youngest player to win the career Grand Slam at just 24 years of age. Now, one thing about the Open is it's always played on a coach- links golf course links golf is often described as the purest form of golf and keeps a connection with the way the game originated in scotland in the 15th century and this year it is being played at liverpool hoy lake it's royal liverpool where the tournament is being played so cameron smith cam smith the defending champion uh 2021 it was uh, colin Morokawa. Shane Lowry won in 2019. There was no tournament in 2020 uh, because of COVID. 2018 was Francisco Molinari, Jordan Spieth won it in 2017, Henrik Stenson in 2016, and Zach Johnson in 2015 why i'm going so far back is because i'm looking for the name rory McElroy. he won last week in scotland interesting because rory won this tournament at the very self-same golf course that he's playing on at the moment he shot 17 under par when he won in 2014 ernie else won it twice 2012 at royal Lytham and st anne's and he won it at muirfield village in 2002, in a playoff against Stuart Appleby, Steve Elkington, Thomas Levey, And when he won it again, he won it by a stroke from Adam Scott. Just incidentally, not that I'm feeling sorry for, for Ernie or anybody else. So the prize money in 2012 was £500,000. Ernie won 900000 as the winner. The price money didn't really increase very much for the next five years. But then in 2017, it jumped from six and a half thousand to ten point two five million. And gradually it's gone a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher last year. The winner took two point five million a home out of a fourteen million prize money, and this year the winner will take three million of the sixteen and a half million up for grabs. So this is the British Open, otherwise known as the Open. And that is currently underway. I have a full report for you on the entire tournament in our show on Monday. Right, let's move our attention now, shall we, to the Women's World Cup, and there was some action today, because of course the tournament's taking place in uh, New Zealand and Australia, which is uh, 11 hours or 10 hours and uh, 9 hours respect uh, ahead of us So, three matches today, a comprehensive victory for the Spanish ladies They won by three goals to nil against the Costa Ricans Esther Gonzalez, Etana Bonmati, and Valerie Del Campo um who scored an own goal from Costa Rica in the Spanish net. Three goals to nil. The game was basically over after 27 minutes. They were up 3-0 and they coasted all the way through to the end of the game. First game this morning was the one that featured an African contingent, Nigeria, the beat the CAF Champions League by South Africa. They were in action this morning against the um Olympic champions, Canada. And thanks to their goalkeeper and a missed penalty the Nigerians got away with a point. A goalless draw in that one. And then the other game played today Philippines nil. Game also uh, dominated by the Swiss. A penalty just on the stroke of half time from Romana Bachmann. And then Serena Pubel scored in the 64th minute for the Swiss to go away with a 2-0 victory. Now, tomorrow and Sunday, I can tell you there's a lot of action at the Women's World Cup. Uh, It starts bright and early tomorrow morning. Can you believe it? Just like in the Men's World Cup, uh, the arch rivals like Iran and the United States played in that tournament. And then... In this particular one, not any any bad blood at the moment. Obviously, there's history between the United States and Vietnam. So the USA play Vietnam. I somehow think that's going to be a a massacre. I think the USA are going to at least five or six goals past Vietnam. I could be wrong. Um, but I think that's what's going to happen. Then Zambia play Japan. It's going to be a very interesting game. That's 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, the early game is 3 o'clock in the morning. That's uh, USA against Vietnam. Second game is Zambia against Japan. Now, Japan seemed to have been on a downward slide recently with regards to their form. And Zambia quite unheralded. And they might be able to cause a surprise there um, Very possible. Then uh, everybody, I think, is waiting to see how good England might be. The Euro champions from last year, they take on Haiti. I don't think they're going to have too much of a problem against the Haitians in that game tomorrow. Half past 11 in the morning. It's a nice time to watch that. And then the Danes, um, who play some really attractive football, take on China. And you never know with the People's Republic of China, because we don't see them very often, virtue of the fact that they're behind uh, their little curtain, not their little curtain, very big curtain in China. Um, so you never know what you can expect from the Chinese, but uh, Denmark, a European team that have always been pretty good uh, when it comes to uh, the world of football and ladies' football in particular. And then on Sunday, uh, we will go back to Saturday in a minute, but on Sunday, the Banyana Banyana, which is the nickname for the South African team, take on Sweden. That's going to be a tough encounter, that. That's really, really going to be a tough opening game for the South African Letts against Sweden. That's at 7 o'clock in the morning. Then the Netherlands play Portugal at half past nine. That should be a really, really good game. Two European teams up against each other. And then the French play Jamaica at midday on Sunday. That's 12 o'clock South African time. The French play Jamaica. And that's not the only football going on over the weekend, because on Saturday, a couple of friendlies, bearing in mind we're building up to the start of not only the English Premier League season, but also the uh, club season in Europe. The break is almost over. 11th of August is when it all gets underway. What a game tomorrow. um, Barcelona against Juventus. That should be a crackerjack game. And Arsenal versus Manchester United. Those are two games friendlies, of course. They don't mean much, but obviously it gives you a chance to see uh, what the teams are up to, uh, looking forward to the new season. And then on Sunday, uh, Leicester City play Spurs. Of course, Leicester were relegated and Spurs under their new manager. And Real Madrid again against AC Milan, that's another huge game, and then Monday, uh, back to the World Cup, Italy versus Argentina, Germany versus Morocco, and Brazil versus Panama, so great, great weekend of footballing action for us to look forward to, and I can tell you right now, in terms of the style and the calibre of the game Women's football has come a long, long, long way indeed. It really, really has come a long, long way. He is back. Who am I talking about? No, not me. I've been here a while. Daniel Ricciardo. And last night in the Formula One presser, which is just a press conference, just sounds good to say Formula One presser, Ricciardo explained how the lure of a fairy tale ending led him to a return and a chance to race for the struggling AlphaTauri team at this weekend's Hungarian Grand Prix. The 34-year-old Australian is back on the grid with a misfiring outfit, despite having previously said he was only interested in racing with front-running teams. He was released by McLaren last year after two disappointing seasons with a Woking-based outfit. He believed that AlphaTauri offered him the best path back to a seat with a senior Red Bull team. He accepted the chance to replace the luckless Dutch rookie Nick de Fris after the British Grand Prix for the rest of the season, having been the reserve driver for Red Bull. He said the dream is still a Red Bull seat. He claimed seven wins when driving for the team between 2014 and 2018. Now, not such good news uh, for de Frist. Of course, uh, Ricardo said he felt really sorry for him. He does know in Formula One. He's not particularly experienced, but in motor racing he is. He feels he's mature enough to understand if he wants to get back and make something happen. He did concede that the Alfa car has limited uh, limitations along uh, that he will do his best to see how he can get or what he can get out of the car. Ricardo collided with Verstappen in his final season at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix when their rivalry was intense. But, of course, Max is the man. And the problem that everybody has this weekend is <laughs> they are coming with upgrades. That's it. Yep, the defending champion and runaway series leader Max Verstappen will be armed with a number of upgrades, not just one or two, quite a few to his Red Bull car as he seeks to repeat his 2022 victory at the Hungarian Grand Prix. It is the penultimate race before the break. The 25-year-old Dutchman will but to extend his 99-point lead on his teammate Sergio Perez. He will be keenly aware that there is a chasing pack closing in on him, but they closed in on him in his old car. Of course, the two weeks ago, should I say, when Lando Norris came second and his teammate came fourth, in between those two was a Mercedes. You can never count those Mercedes cars out. There's always work being done there. They are arguably as motivated as any other team on the grid and they will be there tomorrow. So apparently the high downforce circuit with low speed corners is an amazing track to drive and very technical, and it's definitely a place that Verstappen looks forward to. When he doesn't look forward to a race track he wins. Can you imagine what he's going to be like on a track that he actually looks forward to? So it might create a chance uh, if there are uh, issues on this tight track for the likes of Aston Martin and Ferrari, Fernando Alonso, uh, Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. Uh, they, of course, were teammates way back in 2021. How will they do on this track? So it should be an absolutely fantastic Hungarian Grand Prix. And then one more race after that before, shame, these poor drivers who really have a tough life will <laughs> go away on a holiday, most probably to some luxurious beach resort somewhere um, with all sorts of beautiful girls around them. Okay, I can dream. In the meantime, Renault have replaced Rossi uh, as chief executive of the Alpine sports car brand, which competes in Formula One. Philippe Cliff takes over at the top. The Renault group said in a statement that Rossi would now focus on special projects linked to the transformation of the group. Krief was previously the Alpine brand's vice president of engineering and product performance Before that, he worked as a director of engineering for Ferrari. According to Renault's Group CEO, Luca Di Maio, Alpine is now ready to enter a new phase of its development and become a brand of the future. They already announced changes to their leadership team, with Bruno Famin taking overall responsibility for all motorsport activities, including Formula One and World Endurance. Otmar Schaffner, the principal of the British-based Alpine Formula One team, reports to who in turn has to report to Rossi. Rossi made the headlines of the Alpine Formula One team when he warned in May he would make changes before the end of the season if performances did not improve and said the buck stopped with Otmar Well, let's see how they do at the weekend. Hopefully their drivers can stay in the white lines. That, of course, has all been a big problem with regards to the teams over the last couple of races. And that is staying within the white lines and not going over the line, having laps, lap times, and of course uh, having penalties for not making sure that they kept within the white lines of the track. So what else can I tell you? I can tell you that the Ashes is currently underway. Unfortunately, as I say, we are unable to give you any news on today's play due to the fact that this has been recorded. But I will just bring you up to speed with what happened yesterday. What a day for England. So they assumed the day um Australia did uh on 299 for eight. Didn't last very long, put on 18 more runs. Out for three hundred and seventeen, and that's thanks to uh, five for sixty-two, for Chris Wokes. Great performance by him. Two wickets for Stuart Broad. A wicket apiece for Jimmy Anderson, Mark Wood, and Moen Ali. So you would have thought, well, Australia, if they were bowled out for two ninety-nine, it must be a decent bowling surface, and they can get off to uh, a good start. Perhaps uh, all they need to do is curtail the England batsmen. They just need to draw this test match to win the Ashes again. But they got off to an excellent start. Ben Duckett was out for one. He only faced six balls. So within two overs of the uh, game, the the innings rather, they were already a wicket down were England. Uh, Nine for one, two overs and one ball when Duckett lost his wicket. Then all... You know what broke loose. The next wicket fell at 130, and then 206 runs later, the third wicket fell, which means somebody had to have got an outstanding score, and it was arguably one of the best innings as ever played in an Asher series, and certainly one of the best innings has played at Old Trafford. 189 of 182 balls by Zach Crowley. What a performance. And when he got out, he actually, he actually got out to one of the worst balls of the innings, way outside the off stump, but he went to chop it through the covers, got a bottom edge and played on to his stumps. Uh, 21 fours and three sixes in a most beautifully controlled innings of 182 balls, 189, ably assisted by Mo and Ali's 54, That 206-run partnership, and then Joe Root. 84, he was also looking fantastic and got one of the most horrific deliveries, uh, one that nobody would have been able to keep out. It was one that didn't keep more than maybe 8 inches, 10 inches off the ground, kept low under his bat, bold. So what has happened? We don't know what's happened today. I can't tell you. But this morning, resuming Harry Brook on 14 and Ben Stokes on 24, I guess this is going to be a magnificent test match with regards to the result, which England have to win, I might add, because if they do... They take the series to the Oval for the fifth and final test of what has been an absolutely magnificent, I mean, when I say magnificent, it's been a series second to none, quite magnificent. So the 27th to the 31st of the month, that's next week, The fifth Test match will be underway uh, at the Oval in London. A magnificent stadium, a magnificent ground. And you can be sure that it does go to that game as a one-off who wins wins. Australia would obviously only need to draw because if you draw the series, you retain the Ashes. If you are the holders of the Ashes, which of course Australia are. So wonderful sporting weekend we have in store for you. But before we go, let's just have a look ahead quickly because. The World Netball Championships will be taking place in the Mother City, Cape Town, starting next Friday. And, of course, South Africa, one of the top four or five teams in the world, they watch in action at the Cape Town International Convention Centre. And we will look forward to that event coming up next week. Fast and furious, the ladies' netball. So the weekend sporting activities, the Open Golf Championship at Royal Liverpool the cricket going on at old trafford the tour de france currently underway through the cities of france and of course all the other major sporting events uh, around the world which we will bring you reviews of when we join you again on monday evening as always between 6 and 6 30 south african standard time from the boardroom to the locker room team we wish you a great sporting weekend As always, be nice to each other. Until next time, bye for now.